Embarking towards the fifth centenary, welcome to Hand the Pod. Welcome one and all to episode 401 of Hand the Pod. I'm Sam Kelly. This week I'm joined by Andres. Hello, welcome. English Dan. Good evening. And Santi. Hi there. Uh, the subject for this week is a very obvious one indeed, because the group stage of the Copa America 2021 is over. Um, and it's with, with that, that means that I'm not doing as much commentary, which means I've got time to record. And also it seems like a sensible time during the tournament to record because sticking in recordings between matches when they're every other day was a bit hectic. So we'll go through Argentina's uh, results and performances first of all, and then we'll talk l- later on about how the rest of the copper has gone and how much fun we've been having watching it and so on. Um, to run through all the results though, Brazil... Uh, one, well, not all the results, but all the standings anyway. Brazil won Group B, as we were all expecting them to. Uh, Peru second, Colombia third, and Ecuador fourth, with Venezuela, the team, to be eliminated. And in Group A, Argentina won with a very similar record indeed to Brazil's. Three wins and one draw for 10 points overall. Uruguay was second, Paraguay third, Chile fourth, and Bolivia were out. So no particularly seismic shocks there. In terms of the results, Argentina, I thought there was a slight improvement, both in results and in performances, as we went through the group. We'll obviously discuss that in more detail and see whether the others agree with me. But they began with a 1-1 draw against Chile. Then they beat Uruguay 1-0. Then they beat Paraguay 1-0. And in their final group match, they beat Bolivia 4-1. Lionel Messi scored, how many? Three, twice against Bolivia, once against Chile. I think he's got two or three assists as well so far. His first Actually, goal Messi of the is Copa. the sole goal scorer of the Copa America so far. Oh, is he? Oh, I haven't looked at the, the goal scoring charts. I should yeah. have done Everyone else has, has two. He's the only one with Aside from own goals, of course. Yes, own goals. Doing very well. Doing very well indeed. In the Euros as well. Uh, I think yeah. that before the current European Championship, in the whole history of the Euros, there have been something like seven own goals. Like There have been loads more than that, but there have been seven goals which UEFA actually officially give to own goal to the defender. Um, and in this current Euro, there have been nine so far, I think, which is... Yeah, is it just my, it just my imagination? Or, or are they being a bit stricter about uh, what they give us own goals? Well, I'm thinking I'd, specifically I a... about uh, Arturo Vidal's own goal against Uruguay, which I thought... Should have gone to Suarez, really. Well, con- he did pretty on, much on the, all the legwork. I think he should have gone to Suarez because I was commentating on that game and I gave it yeah. to Suarez. But also the the Commebol website's given it to Suarez in their match report. Yeah, very strange. So, um, no, I, I think it was Suarez. I think he kicked it and then kicked Vidal's leg because if it was a Vidal on goal, then 
that means it's a foul by Suarez on Vidal, so it shouldn't have been allowed. But anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, yes. I, I think that overall, the, the rise has probably got a lot to do with VAR, that there are more of these last touches by defenders being picked up than, you know, because there's the, the famous one with one of when Honaldo was the all-time top scorer in the World Cup and one of his goals against Costa Rica was actually an own goal from a defender. But mm. it took the majors to unearth an angle that showed it. And these days with VAR, I don't think that would have been given to him in the first place. But... Anyway, Messi's opening goal of the Copa, the free kick in the 1-1 draw against Chile, took him past Gabriel Batistuta, so he is now outright Argentina's all-time top scorer in competitive matches. Um, It also took him past Juan Román Riquelme to be outright Argentina's all-time top scorer from free kicks. Um, So two more records for him. And he has since gone on to overtake... Javier Mascherano, because the Bolivia match was his 148th cap for Argentina, which means he's now Argentina's all-time most capped player. He's also only two goals behind Pelé's record of 70, 77, and Messi's on 75 now, I think, uh, international goals. The Argentine press are making quite a bit of this, but I'm not sure, I'm not 100% certain whether Pelé is the all-time top South American goal scorer internationally i think he yes he's uh, yeah. not only the south american top goal scorer he's also the goal scorer among countries that have won the world cup ah yes that was the other one that i saw yeah thank you for the reminder um he's also a free agent today oh yes of course he is yeah for probably yeah, um, no more than a couple of days before before he renews with barcelona but. yeah of course and may i also add that if and only if argentina uh beat uh, the the rival they have at hand right now, which I, I try not to name so as not to, you know, jinx everything, um, at least by reaching the next round, uh, whether they play the final or the, the third place the game. And if Messi plays each and every single one of those games, then Messi will also become the, the player with the most appearances at a Copa America. What, of any nation? Any nation. He's oh, wow. already the most the the, the, the record uh, appearance holder for Argentina. Uh, I think he achieved that in the first or second group game. But if he plays every single Copa America game from the first round to either the the third place game or the final, he will become the the record appearance holder in Copa America. That's that's really impressive considering that there are an awful lot of players from the thirties and forties would have been playing literally a Copa America every year almost. Uh, that's wow, I, I did not know. Uh, anyway, I should say just to be fair that he's still quite a way behind Eduardo Vargas, is the top scoring current player in the Copa America. So, bit of work to do there. Two goals behind him, I think. Vargas, that they've, yeah, because he started off three goals behind, but so far in this Copa, Vargas has got two and Messi's got three. So, Messi's on 12, Vargas is on 14. And unfortunately, the, the real disappointment for me with that one is that Paulo Guerrero has been, well, he was ruled out. With, he's got a knee injury. Uh, he's, he was out for about six or seven months during the club season um, and hasn't uh, been able to make fitness. I think he's uh, having to go, undergo surgery again now. Um, but he uh, is on 15 goals in the Copa America. And the all-time record is... Tucho Mendes and is it Zizinho with 17 each. So had Guerrero played in this Copa, there was a very real chance that he'd become the all-time Copa top goal scorer. Uh, but unfortunately, hasn't happened. Anyway, 
Um, what have we made of Argentina's performances so far? Who would like to kick us off with their opinions? Uh, yeah, I think I've been all right. I'll jump in because I've got a second apiece now because Noel's just gone out. Uh, I've been, I wasn't very impressed. And now over the last couple of games, I've been a little bit more impressed. Uh, I think the impression I got from the first couple of games, including the World Cup qualifiers, which we talked about just before the uh, the Copa America started, it was very similar to what I've basically been going through all year with uh, with Pixies Racing. It's like, well, you're not losing that many games. Uh, you're also not doing a hell of a lot. So, I mean, I can't be too fervent in my criticisms, but it's not particularly exciting either. But, um, yeah, I thought, you know, Obviously, taking into account that Bolivia are by some distance the worst team on the continent when they're when they're down on the flat. I mean, even very much more so even than Venezuela, who, despite having most of their uh, team ruled out for most of the Copa America, were competitive at least. Bolivia really weren't competitive, and if it wasn't for Carlos Lampi, who I think probably has a decent shot to be player of the tournament so far, even though his team got thrashed almost every game. Um, yeah, even taking Bolivia's weakness into account, I thought it was a thoroughly um, professional um, and decent performance, to be fair, from Argentina. They they just picked him off whenever they could um, and and could have got two or three more. I don't think that would have been an exaggeration. Um, I think you still have to look at this team as one which is beginning matches very well. They've scored early goals, I think, in almost all of the matches, especially if you look in the first half, they've definitely taken the lead in all of their matches they've had in 2021. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, all but one has come in the first half hour. So it's a team that comes flying out the blocks, but struggles to maintain it. Um, and that's something I don't think has been worked on still. Possibly against Bolivia, Scaloni showed a couple of signs that he's getting the hang of this, um, this substitution luck. Although again, we have to take into account the uh, the, the opponent. Um, so you know, three wins, a draw in four games. You done it. You did exactly what you had to 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 get through to the next round and to get through in first place, which was absolutely crucial. I think. I mean, in the top two, definitely to to avoid Brazil. Uh, I think the team's gaining in confidence. You can see they're very uh, comfortable in these, in each other's presence. Um, possibly one of the worries I've had, which I've said on, on Twitter in these last couple of days, is that I'm not entirely sure that either we or Scaloni still knows, you know, the best 11 men he can put on the pitch. And ideally by the knockout stages, you you would know that. But, you know, you've got probably a core of six or seven players who are now absolutely essential to the team and, and are playing very, very well. Uh, from the goalkeeper, I think Emi Martinez has had a fantastic Copa America. Obviously, he didn't play; he was rested for this uh, this last game. But the only goal he conceded was that um, penalty, which he saved from Vidal, and and then Eduardo Vargas uh, followed up with the rebound. So, let's say open play goals uh, in quotation marks. He hasn't conceded yet in um, in the Copa America, and he's looked very solid. Defenses looking better than, than most of us have, have probably been used to, especially uh, Cristian Romero and Noel Molino looking very, very strong. 
midfield is pretty settled and the attack, of course, if if you've got Messi firing all cylinders, which he is, and finally, for Christ's sake, Lautaro Martinez managed to put the ball in the net. Um, that can only be good news. He did his best to miss it, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he took he had to have uh, two swipes at it, but they all count, mate. They all count. Yeah, and actually, in the in the next couple of chances he had, he he struck it beautifully on both times, and he forced uh, majestic saves from from Lampe. So it's yeah. it's the other way around. So he has to he has to hit it as in the most ugly way possible to score. I mean, that's often the case for centre forwards, isn't it? Like it's the ugly ones that manage to squeeze past and they get hold of it brilliantly and they don't go in. I don't know if you guys um, saw the video that's been going around the last couple of days, which is fantastic. Um, Sergio Aguero just happened to be um, circling around uh, the Bolivia net right when Lautaro scored because he'd been taken off for Lautaro, what, 40 seconds before, literally? Something, something like that. And he just started pissing himself, laughing, calling Lautaro a goal hanger or, or God knows what. Um, but I think he was happy for Lautaro. He He's been not great, Aguero, I think, in the games he's had. Uh, you can see, you know, he's playing essentially like a player who hasn't played for a year. Um, but everyone says he's he's a nice guy to have around. He's um, he's good for the group. He's uh, he's a good laugh. So perhaps that's his future. He's the, the new Lavesi. Um, you also said, Dan, that when Aguero set up Messi's second goal against Bolivia, that that was the first time that he's ever made an assist for him. I don't know whether you were being sarcastic or whether that's an actual stat that you'd found. Uh, not sarcastic. I was exaggerating. I don't have okay. the actual numbers. I did look for it, actually. Um, and TSC Sports did have um, an article when, I can't remember if it was either Messi to Manchester City or Aguero to Barcelona, when one of those rumours started flying around where they'd compiled... Um, Messi's assist to Aguero and Aguero's assist to Messi. But unfortunately, I saw that the Messi video did work. It was four minutes long. Uh, but the Aguero video, unfortunately, didn't work. And it was only two minutes long on the dot zone of that, including the presenter's um, introduction. So there might be a couple, but uh, I think it's a short list. Indeed, yeah. Santi Andres is, is our uh, resident real-life Argentines on this episode. How, how have you found Argentina's well, performances? What have you I, think, I think there were a, a, pair, a pair of things uh, positive about these four games uh, of the round stage uh, in Copa America. One of them is that uh, uh, they, they score goals in all four matches and they open the matches uh, quite uh, early. Uh, then, but then they, they lost control of the games quite rapidly, also uh, with the risk that risk that this means. Uh, though they, they had a, a good defensive, uh, in this case, defensive system. Um, and, and I think the other the other thing that I I think it was quite good is that there were some players that at least uh, weren't in the radar or, or weren't thought as uh, as players to be in the certain lineups, I think that, for example, if uh, Montiel weren't with this COVID problem and the and, and, and physical problems after the, the coronavirus, uh, 
perhaps he would have been in the, in the starting lineup from the beginning. And, and well, as, as this couldn't be possible, the one who, who of course, uh, uh, was there in the right back was uh, Nahuel Molina, who I think he did right, like, like Jan said. Uh, then, for example, Papu Gomez, when he came into the team, also uh, did, did great. As, for example, Guido Rodriguez, when Paredes couldn't be in there, also had a great uh, performance. So I think that this is good for especially the team as a whole, as uh, and to, to to show that uh, all of the players can play and, and can can do it good in a good way. At, at, uh, but at the same time, it can make uh, the team not to have a, a real identity because, of course, if you have the the classic uh, team that plays as a el equipo de, mem de memoria, I mean the the, the eleven players that you know that can be in the starting lineup. Perhaps it could be easier, but on the other hand, as I said, I think it's good for for the players like Guido Rodriguez, like Papu Gomez, like Nahuel Molina, uh, that if they have their chances and they play 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 well, uh, well, it's on the other hand that's I think positive for the team. Yeah, Is it also? I think, uh, sorry, something on. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that I feel like I have the privilege to like. Um, since I'm being last, I can I can speak with uh, the views of both of you in mind. And uh, considering that, I would say that uh, in first place, what uh, Dan said about uh, him being worried about uh, maybe this uh, this team not quite yet figuring out uh, what's the best starting eleven for for Scaloni. I would like to turn it around and see it kind of as a benefit, um, because that would mean that. Um, at this moment in time, it is it. It's been shown that Scaloni has uh, options and several options. In at that, uh, they are of course um, short in defense, uh, which well, surprise, Arsenal has always been short in defense. Um, with the added bonus that finally we seem to have a uh, one very very decent centre back in in Cody Romero, who is actually having some minutes and not just having some minutes, uh, but also becoming the undisputed starter and even whisper it, but improving Otamendi as well. He's become a more composed defender ever since he was paired with him. And I think that shows. Um, and especially uh, in attack, I mean, for example, for this next game against Ecuador, he can uh, choose to just uh, go with someone who, who can just... Um, chip the ball and uh, create these chances while uh, running into the space uh, and combining with Messi like Papu, or he can also, um, he, he can also uh, go with Nico Gonzalez who can bring you some uh, more, you know, defensive uh, responsibilities and uh, running uh, more towards the counter uh, associating with the uh, Gio Luchis, who has always, was, has always been uh, a shining star for, for the team. There's also, you know, Angel Correa. Uh, you have the the option to go with either uh, Guido Rodriguez or Leo Paredes at uh, defensive midfield. I think there there are a lot of options, a lot of good options. I think that's a, that's an advantage if if uh, the the doubts over the the starting lineup can mean that there there are actually good options and uh, you can actually adapt to whatever your team needs uh, depending on the rival uh, on the opponent. And I think that also would tie up with uh, what uh, Andres said about the team maybe lacking an identity, which 
I've seen this. Uh, I've seen this criticism uh, leveled up. I think by by several people, and I I don't agree all that much with it. Maybe because of the fact that um, you see most um, most national teams, even the best ones, uh, the, the supposed best ones, the ones in Europe, even Brazil. Can you really say they have an identity? Like, can you um, nurture an identity? When you play about 10 games a year at best, uh, can you nurture an identity when you, these are the first games you're playing all year when you haven't played since, since November? Uh, I think uh, given the circumstances, um, given what, um, what well, the, the, the tanks Colony has had to work with and the players, uh, the players at, at his disposal, I think uh, at this moment in time, maybe... I feel quite optimistic. I, I, I think, uh, um, with regards to Argentina's chances, maybe his uh, game planning. I would consider it has uh, some shades of uh, Gareth Southgate at England, in the sense that maybe um, you might feel like he's stifling the team a little bit uh, when with this, uh, you know, uh, plan of scoring and becoming an absolute uh, force at the first 20-25 minutes of every game or the first. Or the first half, and then for the second, just uh, retreating and giving the ball away. I'd argue that sometimes it doesn't really benefit the the players because they don't feel as comfortable as you know, when they have to defend without the ball, um, as opposed to with the ball. But uh, the truth is, um, this has worked so far. It meant that the players um, are a little more rested, um, which means I think they will be able to unleash a little more of that energy now in the knockout stages and uh, I think it proves that Argentina if they want to uh, you know overwhelm their opponents and uh, create all these chances they can do it so it's a sense of uh, of maybe they maybe they might be you know uh, leveling their their energy and uh, trying to reach uh, these stages uh, in the best shape possible, uh, which also explains the the rotations, of course. But I think that's good game management. Um, in general, I think I have a I have a lot of optimism towards this team. Of course, Brazil is Brazil, and uh, we are playing in Brazil, of course, which is always something to consider. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this team looks really really good, really good for me. And you said that, and even even the Argentine refs are giving Brazil a hand. I mean, what chance have Argentina got? Eh? Yeah, I'm surprised he's going to be allowed back into the country after that. We'll, we'll probably <laughs> talk about it in a bit. I'm, I'm interested in in the comparison with between Scaloni and Southgate, though, because one thing that I sort of have noticed recently is is, is that. We've made the point many times on this podcast that Scaloni really struggles to change the game with his subs. Um, and that's something that I think is the main difference, right? Southgate, when he makes a change for England, it, it tends to do something. Whereas it's, Martinez scoring so soon after coming off the bench against Bolivia really stands out. Is that the first time that one of Scaloni's subs has had a positive impact after he's changed something up in the second half? I remember a couple of interventions from, I think, uh, Joaquin Correa, but we're talking about last year or or quite a while back. I think he might have come off the bench and, and done some good stuff. So it can happen. 
it can happen, but uh, I think that's, you know, you're talking more light for light subs when a guy's tired and the fresh legs might might make the difference. Um, what is a problem is, you know, if you see in Argentina that plan A, for example, uh, hasn't come off or the players are getting too tired to do it or the, you know, the, uh, the context of the game has changed, uh, that's when it becomes very clear that Scaloni is much of an on his feet thinker. Um, and, it, you know, it's come off all right so far, but possibly, well, I mean, you know, it's very early, but you can't avoid thinking about a possible final with Brazil, right? I mean, that's going to be the the big one because I think all the other teams in the Copa America are beatable from, from Argentina's point of view. Um, uh, but, you know, head to head between Tide and, and Scaloni, like another one as we saw two years ago, I mean, he's got a little more little bit more experience, but would you back Scaloni? I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to be brave. Indeed. Yeah. Um, the quarterfinal fixtures are, hang on a second, I've got them here. Argentina play Ecuador, Uruguay play Colombia. The winners of those two quarterfinals play one another in the first semi-final. And in the other half of the draw, it's Brazil or Chile against Peru or Paraguay uh, in the other semi. I mean, we, as I've already said, we'll talk about how the other teams all looked in the group stage um, a little later. I'm not sure how long Zoom's going to allow us to continue recording for because I forgot to set my timer going when we started. Um, but on the face of it, I'm thinking the Uruguay-Colombia quarterfinal looks the most evenly matched to me. Um, I think the other one is is going to be Brazil versus Peru and that Argentina really ought to beat Ecuador. I mean, Ecuador, let's talk about them first of, of, of the other teams, right? Because they're Argentina's opponents. They've, they've really not looked particularly inspiring at all. They, they lost the first match 1-0 to Colombia, who were really playing at walking pace. Um, their second match was a 2-2 draw with Venezuela when they conceded very, very late on in the match. Uh, and their third match was a 2-2 draw with Peru. Um, and then they got, I mean, a, a fairly battling 1-1 draw with Brazil, which I didn't see because I was commentating on on Venezuela-Peru at the same time. Um, but the impression that I got afterwards was that once Ecuador scored the equaliser, Brazil, who already had the group one, didn't really particularly care about busting their asses to to win and potentially injure themselves in the efforts or get suspended or whatever. Um, so I don't think Argentina need to be worrying too much about Ecuador based on what Ecuador have shown so far. And also based on the fact that we are, what, two and a half weeks away from 20 years since the last time Ecuador managed to beat a South American side in the Copa America. Since then, they've beaten Mexico and Haiti. Um, but they haven't managed to beat any other combat ball teams, which was another reason that that late equaliser from Venezuela, I'm sure, hurt so much. Um, do any of you see anything, like any reason that maybe we should be less confident than I'm making a sound um, for Argentina against Ecuador? No, I, I think, think that you've uh, got a. Oh, sorry, Santi. Yeah, go, go ahead. Go on, go on, go on. You sure? Yeah. Ah, oh, very kindly. Um, yeah, Argentina are going to start as overwhelming favourites, and and in my view, justifiably so. If you had to. You know, compare Ecuador to any of the the games they've had so far. I mean, it's going to be 
a lot closer, I think, to to the Bolivia game than say against Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile, where where they were made to work a fair bit. Um, but then again, like Argentina haven't had a brilliant time against Ecuador in in recent years, especially in the World Cup qualifiers. Um, it's a team that can make things difficult for Argentina. They're very direct. They're like working down the flanks. They get the ball up very quickly uh, to the forwards. And and that can be tricky for Argentina, whose defence tends to be on the, um, on the slow side of trundling. Uh, but there's very little about them, and especially if uh, Moise Caicedo doesn't manage to come back because he was taken off injured um, in the Brazil game. He's still a doubt. Um, Brazil, we should say, put out essentially a reserve team for that game, which will be, you know, you look at the squad and it's still very, very good. But guys like Danilo, Casamiro, Richarlison, Neymar, Gabi Jesus, they were all left on the bench. And Fred, of course, sorry, Sam. Yeah, they were all left on the bench. Um so it was a chance, you know, to recharge their batteries. They already had the group one. Um, I think, you know, Ecuador can count themselves very, very lucky to have uh, squeezed in ahead of Venezuela. And on form, their their adventure in the Copa America should end on Saturday and quite convincingly because uh, I think, um, unlike Bolivia, they, they don't even have a keeper of uh, Lampe's quality to, to keep out Argentina so it should be a case of how many not if if uh, Argentina can win but you never know and and as I said Ecuador have, have made things very difficult for for Argentina in the past they you know with Gustavo Alfaro on the on the bench uh, you know at least they should be able to spoil a game and I just remembered the last game I don't know if you guys can remember the World Cup qualifier when they went down 1-0 after about five minutes and Alfaro just put everyone behind the ball to protect the 1-0 lead, the 1-0 deficit, uh, which was, you know, just about the most Alfaro thing I think you're ever going to see. Yeah, I'd say it's 90% in Argentina's favour, probably more so if uh, Caicedo, who's a fantastic midfielder, uh, can't make it back. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Actually, uh, Dan, may I confirm that uh, Caicedo has no chance of uh, actually coming back because he has already been replaced uh, by uh, a a veteran of the Ecuador uh, national team, who is uh, Carlos Grueso. And uh, they will also be without uh, Gonzalo Plata, who was uh, also severely injured in... In a previous game, and he was was also one of the most electric uh, players from from that team, one of the one of the better performers, alongside also centre back, uh, the greatly named centre back Pierre Incapié. Uh, but uh, yeah, not and not just about uh, the the quality of the team and the fact that they're missing uh, some key key players like Caicedo uh, and Plata, but also the fact that uh, I don't know if you read um, the what Alfaro said before the Brazil game, which in which he basically um, said publicly that winning the Copa America won't qualify them to the World Cup, which, I mean, I think it says a lot about how much Alfaro actually cares about uh, the Copa America at this point. Uh, 
like I don't, I don't think uh, I don't think he has a real you know interest of uh, of making it far in the in the cup as opposed to I don't know Peru maybe who are always uh, uh, overachievers uh, in this competition. So I mean, considering that and the fact that Argentina are just <laughs> have such a better such a better squad and uh, actually can score and create some really decent chances when they want to. I'd argue they, yeah, they will easily breeze past Ecuador. The question will, it will be whether they decide to go all guns placing like against Bolivia or they go to the this uh, route of uh, scoring one or two in the first half and then, you know, sitting back and uh, and giving the ball away like they they did in the in the in the earlier games against uh, Paraguay especially. That is a remarkable line from Alfaro really though isn't it? I mean Ecuador I, I just double checked this while you were talking Santi that one of the only two countries in Conmebol not to have won the Copa America. And I, I just wonder what the FAF made of when when, when he said that whether I mean okay they they don't really stand a chance of winning it at the moment but you don't want your manager to just go out, go right out and say no. We could try and win the first major trophy in our history, but don't really fancy it to be honest. Yeah, and especially considering the fact that the fact that um, Ecuador have uh, qualified for two of the last four World Cups, which basically, I mean, I'm not saying that they are a, a, a surefire, you know. Uh, favorite to qualify for the World Cup, but uh, I mean, comparing that to winning a major trophy like the Copa America, I mean, you, you, um, some Ecuador fans are not gonna like that, you know, that statement. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's ridiculous. And also, how how would it look, you know, if, if in a few years' time, if Venezuela actually managed to get a bit of an improvement as they were starting to do around ten years ago? And make it stick. And if suddenly Ecuador, you know, Bolivia accepted the worst team on the continent, um, it's bizarre. But anyway, um, I, I'm also going to, when Dan was discussing Alfaro's habit of sitting back, it, it reminded me of a point that I actually made while I was commentating on Ecuador Peru, um, and which I was very, very smug about afterwards. Um, because while they were one nil up, I made the point that even when he was at Boca Juniors, he and and at Huracan, he had a bit of a habit of you know being criticised for getting into the lead and then just trying to sit on it and trying to defend it. Um, and sure enough, in that match, Ecuador were one nil up, largely sitting, trying to pick them apart on the counter attack. Scored the second in stoppage time at the end of the first half, and then in the in the second half, went out the blocks really really slowly, and Peru were level within eight or nine minutes um, and we scored twice in quick succession so if Peru can do that without their main forward I've already mentioned Guerrero's absence then you know they, they're not only not ambitious enough but they're also not really good enough at defending to to try and execute Alvaro's game plan at least against the other teams in this tournament um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens anyway Zoom has now popped up a message with me. We've got three minutes left of this recording. So I think the sensible thing to do now is going to be to take a break so that we can start a new call going and start recording again. And in the second half, we will come back and we will discuss 
in a little bit more detail how all of the other teams have looked in the Copa America so far. We will also go through the uh, main talking points, but certainly not all of them, of the new league fixture list, which was released, uh, I think it was yesterday, wasn't it? And um, go through some listeners' questions. So for now, don't go away. Okay, the simplest way then to run down our summaries of how the other teams have done so far is probably if I just go through the standings in the two groups, right? And we can sort of shout out our general impressions. Um, So to take Group A first, which was the one that was won by Argentina, uh, second place in that group was uh, Uruguay, who lost 1-0 to Argentina. Uh, drew, oh, they sat the first round out, didn't they? I was trying to look up their result in that and wondering why I couldn't see it. Drew 1-1 with Chile, uh, beat Bolivia 2-0 and then beat Paraguay 1-0. Uh, that final win against Paraguay is why Paraguay only finished third. Paraguay's results were a 3-1 win over Bolivia. Uh, yes, over Bolivia in the opening round. A 1-0 defeat to Argentina, a 2-0 win over Chile, and that 1-0 loss to Uruguay. And Chile, who lost... No, they didn't. They drew 1-1 with Argentina, as we've already mentioned, beat Bolivia 1-0, drew with Uruguay 1-1, and lost 2-0 to Paraguay. And then they sat the last round of group matches out. Um, I think that my immediate thought is going to be that Dan mentioned earlier on the... Interesting, but I think entirely defensible uh, argument that Carlos Lampe has a shout for being perhaps the player of the Copa so far. Now, I think I'd probably give it to Messi um, so far in the group stage. But one of the other candidates, and I really do think this is a very strong shout indeed, because he's been a sensation. Nobody in South America, having previously heard of him before the tournament started, is the only person, as far as I'm aware, ever born in Stoke-on-Trent to score at the Copa America, Ben Breerton, who scored the only goal of the 1-0 win over Bolivia for Chile. Um, I was commentating on that game, and I've commentated on, well, I think three of Chile's group games overall. Um, so I've, I've not really had much of a sense of what social media's been doing during his appearances. So how have you guys sort of seen it? Well, he got included in the in Globo's team of the first round, which is quite an honour, and he made the front three alongside Messi and Neymar. So if you're keeping that kind of company, uh, you've got to be doing something right, I reckon. Um, Yeah, more seriously, he's looked very impressive, and I think uh, probably more worryingly for Chile, what's accentuated um, uh, how impressive he's been is that the rest of the team really hasn't looked very good. I thought they were competitive enough against Argentina, if a little fortunate to to get back in it under those kind of unusual circumstances. And they've just really looked short of goals. Um, they've missed Alexis Sanchez, who didn't play at all through the uh, 
through the group stage. There's talk that he might be able to make it back in time for Brazil, but I think maybe on on current form, you'd, you'd even pick Britain over over Alexis, right? I don't know. Um, but over overall, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great Chile team, and I think the fact that they had to go searching down in the championship and kind of trawling uh, football managers' archives to to find a to find a striker is is sort of indicative of of how their uh, their national team's doing at the moment. It's a team which is still very much built on the uh, on the teams that won um, in 2015, 2016. There's a lot of um, a lot of players there who are 30 and over. I think Britain's might even be their youngest player at 22, um, which shows that, you know, unlike Argentina, partially Uruguay, uh, partially Brazil, kind of the renovation that perhaps should have happened hasn't really happened for Chile. And that seems to be just because the players aren't there. And, and if they finish fourth in this group, they what they won, they only managed to beat Bolivia, yeah. Uh, and they made very hard work of that as well. Um, yeah, it's not been a vintage uh, Copa America for, for Chile by any means. No, Bolivia were, in that game, were really well organised and, and Lampe made a couple of good saves, in fairness to Chile. But, um, you know, there's Ten the saves, difference. to be precise. Because Chile many? had 11 shots. Well, Chile had 11 shots on target and and they only scored one. So, I think yeah. some of those have to be have been from range or or whatever because I I can't remember. I mean, really significant saves that prevented what looked like a proper goal. I can think of two or three maybe, um, but I might be being a yeah, possibly. Much. But but I mean, the the difference between that and and how easily Argentina dispatched Bolivia and as you mentioned, you know, could have had more if it weren't for another very decent Lampe performance. Um, was pretty stark. Uruguay and Paraguay going into the game, I actually thought were. Um, fairly evenly matched. I mean, it, it proved that way in the match itself as well. The the only goal of the game was that Edinson Cavani penalty um, in the first half. Remarkable run for Paraguay without beating Uruguay, though. The, their last win against Uruguay in any match was in October or November 2007 in a World Cup qualifier. And their last win in the Copa America, do you know when it was? Go on. It was in December 1947. That was the last time they beat Uruguay in the Copa. Since then, including the other night, they've now played each other 16 times in the Copa America and Paraguay haven't managed to win. And that, that's after like the first 11 or 12 games in the, the head-to-head record in, in Copa America history between those two sides are basically six wins apiece. Um, so it's, it, it's been a very long time indeed. It's 73 and a half years or whatever it is. It's, it's ridiculous. Whoa. Yeah, but, may uh, also add something. Uh, may also add something that about uh, what uh, Dan was just saying uh, about Chile and their uh, really, really aging squad. Something that has really startled me is the fact that looking at Chile's squad, they actually have the most players born in the 2000s from any Copa America squad, but only one of them has stepped onto the pitch so far was, was uh, Luciano Arrigagada for a few minutes cameo against Uruguay. None of the others have played so far. It also means, of course, that when they do, when things aren't going their way and they need to make a change, 
it suggests that the manager doesn't really have very much confidence in 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 the players coming in. Um, yeah, actually, uh, he wasn't called for the Copa America, but one of the most surprising returns uh, I had seen back in March when Chile actually played a friendly was uh, El Luis El Mago Jimenez, who was who had been part of the of the Copa America of the Chile's I think 2011 uh, Copa America squad. I remember before that. Uh, was like 36 years old. This is the the, the extent to which uh, Chile keeps relying on their really really aged uh, players to to carry on instead of like focusing on the youth. Maybe because the youth are just not all that good or they are not all that developed yet. But yeah, but they're not they're not going to get the chance, are they? If if you don't play them in the matches, then how do they develop? It's I mean, I, I can't remember exactly the, the number, but when I was doing my notes on the Chile squad before the start of the tournament, because I had them in the first game of my commentary, it's something like all of their five most capped players of all time are five of the players in the current squad. Uh, Bravo, Isla, Vidal, Vargas, uh, one of the others, Medel, and well, possibly um, somebody else in like seventh place or something. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, there, to... there is maybe the caveat that um, maybe it's the the fact that you will have a a lot more international players, uh, internationals with over one hundred caps or more than 50, 70 caps right now, because of the fact that we we've been having a crazy amount of uh, of international games in the last couple of years. Yeah, maybe. I but... think that also happens with Argentina, which, uh, well, you have Messi, Agüero, and Di Maria, and even... well, Macherano, er- a little bit earlier, who have already broken 100, uh, 100 caps for for us. But even then, you was, may find... There was a collection of, of four Chile players who, between them, had basically as many caps as the entire Argentina squad, <laughs> like including... But... Messi and Aguero and Di Maria. Wow! Um, like <laughs> I, I think at... the, the difference when I added it up was like they had thirty fewer caps than all twenty-eight members of the Argentina squad. Uh, it, it's just they're playing too many games, and also some of these guys, it's not as if they're in there. You know, like Dan mentioned for Aguero earlier, or like we're supposing is the case for Otamendi. They're not there to be good role models. You, Arturo Vidal, he's an absolutely <laughs> terrible role model. You know. <laughs> I think yeah, even I mean, Chilean fans who love him would probably recognise that he shouldn't really be in the squad if, if if he's supposed to be there as a role model. As a footballer, he was capable of being fantastic, but as a person, God. Sorry, Dan, you were going to say something. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, you look at the Chile team against Paraguay that, that started. They had eight players out of the first 11 who were 30 or over. And you think that if Alexis was fit, He'd probably be there ahead of Britain and that would be nine. So, I mean, that's just clearly not a, a long-term way to, to put a squad together. Um, they're going to have a very uphill battle, I think, for, for the next World Cup. Very difficult. Indeed, yeah. Um, in Group B then, Brazil, who won the group, we've probably guessed our opinion of them already. They're the best team on the continent and the team to beat in a home Copa America, especially. Peru finished second, Colombia finished third, Ecuador finished fourth. I've, I've kind of hinted already that Peru, I, I think, are hamstrung a little bit by missing Guerrero. Similarly to Bolivia, really, who, who were without Marcelo Martins for all but the last 20 minutes of the last couple of games because he's come back from a COVID um, positive test. Um, and, and that really does hamstring Peru. That, 
Of course, he was yeah, also suspended. He was also yeah. suspended for one game for daring to criticize the the treatment of Cornwall towards their players. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously the, the you know the main difference there between Peru and Bolivia, both me- missing their main strikers, is that Peru have got quality elsewhere in the team as well. Whereas Bolivia, give it a good go, and you know I, I was rooting for them in in each of their games, but it never really looked likely. Um, Colombia and Ecuador. I mean, Ecuador, we've already spoken about, obviously, but Colombia I, I don't seem to be firing on all cylinders to me. They were rubbish. They were absolutely rubbish. Yeah. It, it's I think difficult apart from to... about 10 minutes against Brazil, they've looked very, very poor. And they will miss uh, Cuadrado for the game against Uruguay, so I think it will be a swift exit for them. I think it was uh, Colombia-Ecuador, right, which was... Uh, the second game of the Copa America, and oh, that by far the worst game of the Copa. Yeah, the what definition, a... the definition of a goal from another match as well, because the the goal from that free kick that I think Seba commented on the WhatsApp group that he, he thinks that they tried something with the free kick, messed it up, and then improvised what actually happened. <laughs> but it looked like Possibly. such a nicely worked. Um, move from an indirect free kick. It was brilliant, but the rest of the match was, as you say, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is quite worrying, right? I mean, they scored, they managed to get three goals in four games, and one of those was uh, just an absolute other world overhead against Brazil, which is probably never going to happen again in, in the player's life, and the other is, was that free kick against Ecuador. I can't remember what the goal against Peru was like, but I mean, conventional goals for Colombia, they seem to be very, very hard to come by. Um, Goal against uh, Peru was a penalty from Miguel Angel Borja. So, yeah, um, they're really going to be struggling because I think the the two goals they got against Argentina before this all kicked off was one was a penalty and one was just a complete meltdown from Argentina because they thought the game was pretty much already over. I mean, it was brave to leave James Rodriguez at home, but it's starting to look a little bit stupid to me. Yeah, I can only think that uh, that they were relying on on Cuadrado, who had some absolutely just terrifying statistics last season. For considering he was playing at right back the whole season as well, mm. he, he ended the season with more assists in between league and Champions League than Messi did. Um, which is really going some. And then you know you're moving him into midfield, and you're expecting him to to run the show and he's certainly capable of it, but he needs some kind of support. He needs, you know, more around him as, as, as you say. And, uh, and Cardona, other than that goal in the opening game, hasn't really got going for them. I don't think either. No, Cardona, you know, I mean, he's going to give you 10 or 20 minutes every, every other game. And you can't really expect that much more of him. That's just who he is. Um, I mean, you look at the the Colombia team, and and it's very very uninspiring, right? I mean, they've got very good keeper uh, Barrios. I think to be fair, has had uh, a very strong Copa America in his combative uh, fashion. Uh, Cuadrado and a tiny little bit. Uh, no, probably those three players. I mean, mm. they're the only ones that have really turned up. And if they're missing Cuadrado, they're gonna have a hard time against Uruguay. Yeah, I mean. I was asked after the first match on somebody asked on Twitter why wasn't Quintero in the squad, and you know I, I replied that my guess is that they want players who are playing in more competitive 
leagues and, and which the managers, the, the, the technical team have actually been able to follow up at closer quarters. Um, and, you know, also there's an extent to which you've got Cardona already. How many slightly overweight playmakers with a brilliant <laughs> eye for a pass can you pack into one squad? But honestly, now that we've seen the group stage, I think that they probably should have picked him because um, he couldn't have made them any worse. No, I mean, and, neither and he might have come up with a little more. Yeah. to be there. If you're not going to pick Hamis for whatever reason, he's not fit, he's an arsehole, fine, but just get Quintero in there, for God's sake. Anyway, moving on to... Shall we do listeners' questions now, gents? Yeah, why not? If nobody's got any other last-minute thoughts. Listeners' questions, here we go. Lawrence Hart says, back in April... It seemed that every UK-based Uruguayan footballer was declaring a wish to play for Boca Juniors. On the back of this, can I ask if there's ever been a clamour for the big Uruguayan clubs to join the Argentine League in a similar fashion to Rangers and Celtic during joining the Premier League? Not that I know of. I think because of the Libertadores and and that kind of competition, they've always just had had enough opportunities uh, to kick the shit out of each other. So, no, I mean... As far as I know, it's never been proposed. There's not the same economic desire for it either, really, is there? I mean, the Argentine League, obviously, is is more widely watched around the world and is more famous. Um, But the Uruguayan peso is certainly a much more stable currency for the most part than the Argentine peso is. Um, And, yeah, and and there's also the whole, you know, along those lines as well, they are actually politically and economically two completely separate countries, which is yes. not an obstacle that exists for England and Scotland. If they were to, you know, try joining the systems, it, it would be easier to share out TV money and, and all the rest of it for that reason as well, I guess. Um, so no, it, it's not really, it, it, it's an interesting thought, especially because, you know, in most other ways, if we just look at the footballing issues, then Argentina, Uruguay and, and England, Scotland aren't that dissimilar as rivalries, apart from the fact, obviously, that Scotland have, not one, two World Cups and more European Championships than anybody else. But uh, you know, and England yeah, I aren't think for, quite as successful as Argentina either in that respect. No, I think for footballing reasons too. You know, talking about right now, there's no incentive for Nacional and Peñarol to do it because being very kind, I think they'd struggle to get any higher than seventh or eighth place in in Argentina. They're quite a long way behind. Yeah, it's I mean, a big I, fish I, in small pond dilemma. Indeed. Mm. I think they're very happy with their um, with their little little pond. I'm, I'm sure they've managed to lift the level after a, a couple of years of, of acclimatisation or whatever, but it would be a step down from basically knowing that you're going to be in the Copa Libertadores unless you absolutely epically shit the bed every single season. Um, Jamie says, hello, lads. Is it likely we'll see fans back in stadiums during the upcoming season? Nope. Well, I heard very offhand and very kind of in passing that the Super Classico in October, which was drawn, could be a potential date because obviously, if you haven't had fans in stadiums for two years, it makes total sense to uh, to bring them back in the most uh, the biggest, most at risk game, right? Yeah, absolutely. Why am I not surprised that that's the date that's been talked <laughs> yeah, about? It's like a, it's like a. Finally, making the the away fans uh, uh, finally the away fans finally making a return in like the classical Rosario or something like that. Yeah, 
Andreas, you were going to say something. No, yeah, that Matthias Lamens said that uh, he's the Minister of Sports and, and Tourism. And yes, he said that uh, they are planning to to uh, let people go to the stadiums in the, during the last three months uh, of the year, mm -hmm. which will fit with the with, with Dan said about the the, the Rio Boca uh, program for the for, uh, fourth round, I think, of the new of the new league. But it is, I think, too soon to 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 schedule something like that, as we don't know what will happen in, in July and August with the of course, with the uh, COVID cases and, and, and all that, that stuff. Yeah, 30% capacity is what I've seen yes. mentioned. But, I mean, it, we're, we're getting there now. We're starting to get there with, with vaccinations down here. I'm expecting to be able to get an appointment possibly next week or the week after. Andres, I think you've got your appointment for your first vaccination, right? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, I, I went to the San Lorenzo Stadium, in fact, Oh, you've had it already? Yes. Oh, excellent. Good. Yes, I had it. Uh, yes, I had the, the Chinese vaccine, uh, vaccine uh, uh, yesterday. Excellent. Yeah, Seba got his a couple of days ago. Joel got his yesterday as well. Um, so Sadly, Miss Santi, the young, the young ones among us uh, are going to have to wait uh, a little bit longer, the babies. Yeah, well, yeah, Sa Santi's going to be waiting until November, I think, because he's um, far too young even. Have they even allowed it for your age group yet, Santi? Yeah, he's over 18. <laughs> no, I know he is. I'm just taking the piss. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we're, we're, we're getting there vaccine-wise, but I, I think it's going to possibly be a tall order to see them. This this year, uh, which really is the same thing as this season, because the league that's going to be kicking off is, um, is going to be a short, in inverted commas, championship. It's going to be everybody against everybody else once, 25 rounds of games, and then we'll have a 2022 season running from February to December next year. Uh, Jamie also says, congrats, Sam, on your run as Copa America commentator. Thank you very much, Jamie. Uh, is there any chance we might hear you do some Liga AFA games over the next few months? Obviously, a hop commentary team would be ideal. Um, Peter is, is, as you probably know, because you have the packages um, in question, he's doing the, the Argentine League. I would, I'm going to put it out here now. I would love to do it. I've, I've had really good fun doing it during the Copa America, which is just as well because the money's been terrible. Um, and it is the same production company. So I'm kind of, there's a little bit at the back of my head hoping that maybe they'll ask me whether I fancy doing some league as well. But I'm not going to hold my breath because nobody's said anything yet. And it is very much their choice, not mine, unfortunately. Um, Lawrence says, on a more serious note, how is pandemic life in Buenos Aires at the moment? Hope everyone's staying safe and not sharing their mate. I mean, we'd have to have somebody to share our mate with, really. We can share it with people we live with. And, <laughs> and that's it. We've not had the chance to to meet up really otherwise i mean we're allowed out now and go to bars yeah. but... i'll be meeting yeah, up with a few friends here and there but but no matter sure no i've, I've been going on public yeah. transport again because i've got to get to the studio for the oh, commentary cool. it's been um yeah. it, it it has actually yeah it, once or twice it's been a, the soup has been a little bit fuller than i've felt entirely comfortable with when you bear in mind that everybody is self-diagnosed so you're basically trusting everyone to be honest with no i don't have a temperature or a cough or anything <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's sort of it feels like very very slowly coming back to life down here at the moment i think but yeah we're still right. a way away from, i mean i you know for me it's going to start feeling properly back again when everybody's allowed on public transport without special permits or being an essential worker or whatever um, next year perhaps Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. 
Fingers crossed. Simon Clark says, what's the take in Argentina about Martina? I, right, there are four. If we include Martinez Cuarta, there are four Martinez's in the Argentina squad. Um, but I think he's talking about Emiliano Martinez's progress. Oh, yeah, he's the saying, last couple so of Martinez years. So Cuarta, Sam, Martinez Cuarta, we can say he's one of four. Yes, we could, couldn't uh, we? Yeah, uh, 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 very good. Um, clever. What it, what's the take in Argentina about Martinez's progress the last couple of years at Arsenal and Aston Villa? So, yeah, he is talking about Emiliano Martinez. I should have read ahead, didn't I? Good to hear you on commentary the other day. Stay well. Stay well. Thank you, Simon. Um, anybody want to answer that one? I think, yeah, I think for so. probably most casual fans, he suddenly appeared out of nowhere for this uh, this Copa America, and and people have been very happy. I mean. Uh, depend, you know, this question it all depends on how much you follow English football. Um, if you don't, you probably haven't got a clue who this guy is, and you think, oh, wow, very good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, coming playing in the Premier League, which even down here gets gets pushed as, if not the best, then then one of the best leagues in the world, um, comes with a yeah, certain cachet and is going to help convince games? people. But, yeah, but yeah, how many I mean, Aston Villa games were actually screened? No, no, exactly. Actually, there's, actually, so there's, uh, there's, there's actually, that, think, uh, but there's also just the the fact that even though lots of people will go, oh, he's playing in the Premier League, so he must be good. There are also lots of people who go, oh, he's playing in England, so he's a traitor. Or, oh, he's playing outside Argentina, so fuck him. We should just or, put together a Oh, he's playing for Aston Villa. He's playing for a, for a mid-sized uh, English team as well. Like, they, they berate Aston Villa for the fact that they are not you know Manchester United or, yeah. or Liverpool or Chelsea and he's actually uh the second goalkeeper with the most clean sheets in the whole league which well, is yeah. Yeah. and I think that the fact that Villa started the season really well has probably helped his acceptance because that got him into the headlines really early in the season um I think maybe if and they the had FA Cup with run, Arsenal as well before that yes and yeah exactly yeah um I think maybe if, if they if he'd had the same number of clean sheets but spread more evenly over the season so that fewer of them were consecutive or something like that, then, then maybe he wouldn't have had quite as much press. But uh, by and large, people are happy. I mean, I, the, the recognition that Armani is not supposed to be first choice anymore um, yeah. is, uh, is probably you know, widely accepted. Tom Robinson says, when will Andres D'Alessandro be making an appearance on the pod? Or is there only enough room for one Andres? Uh, I'll um, go for the second option. And does he speak English? Is this a, a no? Possibility? I think this is because I uh, I interviewed him the other day and oh in Spanish, that. yeah. Um, can he remember nice how guy. to say hello in English? Is I didn't that? ask him to to do a recording, to be honest. Um, but no, a very nice guy. We had a, a nice long chat. He he uh, was very interesting to talk to, and then. Uh, I think it was it yesterday. Yeah, yesterday in the um, the England Germany game, he was what's up and me saying, "Ah, you see, I told you Germany was shit. Like, go on, England." <laughs> uh, which he was very happy about. His daughter's English, isn't she? she? She was born while he was playing in Portsmouth. If you say so, I didn't. Um, I didn't ask him about that. What I did ask was, um, I told him that uh, Mason Mount. Um, he was uh, he was Mount's. Football idol while he was at Portsmouth because because uh, Mount's a Portsmouth fan and he's got a signed uh, shirt of D'Alessandro's um, the number four Portsmouth shirt up in his um, in his dad's house and Andres was was very happy with that he um, he said he'd he very happily trade his uh, 
his national shirt to to mount in return for a for a Chelsea, for a Chelsea shirt. <laughs> Beer winner. David Novoshevsky says, who has been the best centre-back pairing for Argentina so far in the Copa? We've seen, I'm, I'm trying to work out how many different variations of centre-back pairings we've seen from them. I think it's, any of them, right? I, I think uh, Otamendi, Otamendi and uh, Romero, Pesela and yeah. Romero, Pesela and uh, Lisandro Martinez, and uh, I think that's it. Which ones would, you, would, would we go with, gents? I mean, you'd probably say to be safe, Otamendi and Romero, just because they played together most, and Romero partially makes up for Otamendi's uh, calamitous side. Uh, but it's not much to choose. I mean, as long as Romero's in there, uh, pick a number, really. Yeah, yeah I, I would still that... like. I would not still like to... for Lisandro to have a a bit more of a chance. I I know he wasn't exactly you know bright uh, in the game against Bolivia. Um, Bolivia, I think, uh, created some danger that was probably, you know, we could have avoided it, especially the goal. Um, they were all over the place at that point. But I think um, given the fact that he's the only left-footed uh, uh, centre-back in the squad and the fact that you kind of need that, uh, you kind of need that, uh, you know, equilibrium, I think, the balance, I'd say, to... to you know, move the move the wall forward and uh, not have a lot of trouble. Like I think Otamendi has sometimes when, when the ball with the ball at his feet. Um, yeah, I'd say he deserves a chance. The thing is, probably it's too late at this point in the Copa. Yeah, I, I was also going to say that much as you know, last time we recorded, we were slagging Otamendi off, and and we've done that quite a bit when he's played for Argentina over the last couple of years, at least. Um, but then against Chile, I, I did think, I think I mentioned at one point during the commentary um, that he, he was, he looked a lot calmer. Like he didn't really make any mistakes. And there were a couple of times where he spotted some danger as the ball was being played into the box and got there ahead of the striker, you know, just did a, a, a pretty good no nonsense job, which compared with his shambolic performances against Chile and Colombia in the world cup qualifiers shortly beforehand, um, was a big improvement. And yeah, I sort of wonder, was it Dan or Santi during the first half of this podcast who, who suggested that uh, Romero might have had something to do with that improvement. Um, so for now, tentatively keep him in, but I'd certainly be keeping a very close eye on him um, overall. And finally, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, who do you think will be the next Hand of Pod representative to make it onto BBC commentary? Sam and Peter have done a good job thus far covering the Copa America. I'm guessing it's a case of when Brazil win it rather than if, question mark. Um, well, Joel's already done this, right? Joel, Joel has appeared as well on the world feed along with Peter for the Libertadores last year. The other thing to point out is that we are doing, me and Peter are doing the world feed rather than BBC um, per se. It's just that the BBC happened to be one of the channels picking it up. So if you're listening in Australia, for instance, then I believe that you've also been hearing me and Peter um, yeah, Aussie Dan's um, commented several times when you've yes, been on of course commentary. Has, yeah. uh, uh, very I happy also, with your job. I would also take the opportunity to apologise if you watched Argentina Chile and were not aware that it was me commentating and that it was my first ever attempt at commentary um, because I am aware or I've been made aware since that it didn't sound particularly good and I, I hope that I've improved a bit. The, the first game was very much a case of trying to get through the match without soiling myself with nerves. Um, but 
as I said earlier, I've started to really enjoy it now, and I'm I'd, I'd love to do more of it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, Dan and Santi could be a good pair of commentators there. Uh, well, if I wish. I wish. I, I, I'm honoured. <laughs> I'll take myself out of the running. I don't see my, myself be able to get through a, a game potentially involving Di Maria without swearing to high heaven. There, there are times when you have to bite your tongue about certain things. and There, there, yeah. there are things that, that I sort of thought. And, and Di Maria being sent on against Chile was, was one of them. I managed to uh, not criticise him too much, I think. But no, I was going to say, Dan, that you're, you've probably got the best chance of anybody because at least when they called me, they were particularly wanting native speakers. Um, so yeah. unfortunately, that probably rules Santi and Andres and Tony out. But uh, I think they'd all do a decent job if they got the chance. Um, yeah, I mean, native in inverted commas, right? But Oh, no, they, uh, they were very particular. They wanted absolutely... No, but I'm saying with my, uh, with my English skills. Oh, you, right. Yeah, sorry, you're doing self-mockery. I'm not used to hearing it. <laughs> anyway um, shall we all do some mystical predictions in a second for the yeah, quarter final I think we're probably next going to be back after the final to be honest um, I don't see very much value in just recording between the quarters and the semis um, but let's but try to predict the final the... we can get one in next week can we uh, if it's Argentina, Brazil, I think. Oh, after the shit. semis, you mean? Yeah, between the sixth yeah. and yeah. Well, we'll have a go. We'll, we'll see how the semi-finals shake out. Um, yeah, if Argentina are out, we can just turn the page. But we'll see. yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes because we, we we're going to have quite a lot to get through after the final anyway because the league season starts up almost immediately. I think it's the following weekend. Um, but anyway, let's try to predict the quarterfinals. So I'll go first. Um, Peru versus Paraguay is the first quarterfinal. It's also, if you're interested at all, the only remaining really important game that I'm going to be commentating on. I've got Peru-Paraguay and then I've got the third place playoff. Um, I'm going for Peru to win 2-0. I'm going for Brazil to beat Chile 3-1 with Ben Britton opening the scoring for Chile. Let's have a little <laughs> bit of fun with that to give Brazil a bit of a scare. Uh, Uruguay I think will beat Colombia 2-0 with a goal each from Suarez and Cavani and Argentina versus Ecuador I'm going for 3-0 Argentina um, could be more but I'll, I'll go for 3-0 let's go round uh, clockwise on my screen which means Andres what are your predictions um, yeah, it will be very, quite different to, to what to your predictions, uh, uh, I, I have a doubt between Uruguay and Colombia, uh, but uh, I think that finally the, 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 the historic rivals will be in the semifinals. I, I, I mean, Brazil, Peru, and Uruguay and Argentina will, will advance to the semifinals. Something? You know, I hate uh, predicting my team, especially when so much is is a sacred this at this this moment with Argentina, so I try to break the rest of the team, the the games. I think uh, Brazil are gonna easily breeze past Chile. Maybe two 0 three 0 perhaps. Um, I'm just uh, a little doubtful about the the amount of goals because this Brazil team doesn't tend to score that many goals. Um, then Colombia against Uruguay, I think it's gonna be. 
uh, one uh, Uruguay, the Uruguay way. Um, and then Peru against Paraguay. I think uh, Peru are going to win this. Paraguay are, will be without uh, Miguel Miron and uh, they suffer and uh, Vareiro as well. And they suffer a lot without uh, without Miggy. So I think it's going to be two one two one to Peru with uh, the Italian Peruvian Gianluca Lapadula scoring a brace. The other game, I refuse to comment on it. <laughs> I'm down. Uh, Paraguay are going to go through on penalties after drawing 0-0 with Peru. Brazil are going to beat Chile 2-0. Uruguay are going to squeeze past Colombia 1-0. And Argentina are going to beat Ecuador 3-1. So I think we're all unanimous on three of the matches. And Dan's the only person who thinks Paraguay will get past Uruguay. Um, No particularly original calls there, apart from... Dan's Paraguay, Uruguay. I think the rest of us are just going for the favourites in each match, right? Well, I mean, in as much as I think... I've not seen the the betting, but I would guess that, you know, Peru will be bookmakers' favourites for the game, let's say. Um, I've got faith in them. They've got two Romeros to cross, like, where can they go wrong? Yeah, they have. None none of them have looked all that good to me so far. But anyway, we'll see. Um, No, Ankel was good against... uh, Against Bolivia, so then he's kind of then he tailed off a little bit. Oh, he wasn't uh, right, yeah. match, he... We'll They're a bit of a nightmare to tell apart with the commentary because the shirt numbers both end in one. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that being very much fun. But you just say Romero and Angel's number eleven and 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 Oscar's number twenty one. I think it is, or, or the other way around. And so when they were on the pitch at the same time, it was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, but just yeah, say Romero. Every team in the tournament seems to have multiple players with with one with a certain surname, and obviously Brazil have got like four players called Everton or Everton something. Fortunately, I haven't had to do any Brazil games, and presumably won't have to do any because I doubt they're going to be in the third place playoff. Um, I was going to say, I think the nightmare about taking the Brazil games as a commentator is that they all look the same with their bleach blonde hair. Like impossible to yeah. tell apart Neymar from. Uh, Gabigol from Richardson, and I think there's one more because they're all like identical from our top, from above. It's, it, it's quite weird because you know, we, we, we get the wide angle shots, and so after a while, you start to sort of pick certain players out just like by their gait when they're running and stuff without really, yeah. So, when a, a player will get on the ball and you'll, you'll know it's that particular player, something will just sort of tell you, and then but others, it just there's a constant fight all the way through the game to be like. It, which of the two deep line midfielders is this one now who's on the ball? Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite odd. Anyway, we have better wrap up because Zoom is slowly counting down again. Um, we're all going to have to hop back on if people have got time to record a hand of pod extra shortly for our beloved Patreon fans. I'm not quite sure what we'll do that on, but we'll discuss something in a few minutes. Um, but for now, thank you very much indeed for listening and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English Dan. Goodbye. From Santi. Let's be back. Bye. And from me, thank you and goodbye.